So I'm going to kick this off. Topic actually came up that I myself am very passionate towards, and that's using storytelling in our management style. And so um, graciously, we've got Andy joining us today, Andy Baker, and he's going to share with us his knowledge as well about um, using storytelling in our management um, processes. So let's uh, kick that off, Andy. Um, my name's uh, Andy Barker. Um, I've been a safety guy since the early 90s. Um, I don't think that's all that defines me. I'm a husband and father of six children, uh, and they're, they're actually all decent kids. They're, I have pleased to say they're more like their mother than their father. So uh, I'm currently in the Middle East. I'm based in Saudi Arabia. Um, and I look after a group of uh, 30 companies that uh, do all sorts of stuff from logistics to catering to construction across uh, India, Africa, the Middle East, GCC countries and stuff. So um, I, I picked a hard territory to do safety in. But um, the reason I came to Saudi Arabia uh, as, a, as a leader uh, across such a, a, a vast company with lots of different things going on as I wanted to prove to myself in my own mind that if I could do it in Saudi Arabia, I could do this anywhere. And I have learned so much and I'm very grateful for the opportunity that I've had to, to learn so much uh, being, being a safety guy in a tough environment. I've had a few reset buttons pressed. So I'm, I'm completely out of my depth here. I, I'm just the safety guy that's reverted to PowerPoint slides to, uh, to tell us some stories. So I, shall I just crack on then? Please. Cool. Okay, thank you. And, and thanks, Rosa. Um, so yeah, I, I think uh, what I wanted to share is this, this story starts out with compliance. Uh, what we had in a company that I, uh, I worked for was a rule and the rule was, we're going to talk about safety at the beginning of every single meeting that we have. And I think many companies have a, have a similar thing, right? Um, and, and actually, uh, this was North Africa, I should say, Morocco to be specific. Um, and the stories that we were telling and the stuff that we were talking about at the beginning of every meeting, quite frankly, I felt devalued safety more than it did enhance safety. And it was really just, uh, you know, say something to get the move, to get to get it out of the way and move on with the with the meeting. So we were kind of compliant that we were doing it, but really nobody was learning anything. And I, you know, I just felt devalued in the process. So I sat with the ND and I said, we need we as a management team need to even get this right. And he said, okay, well, what makes a good conversation? And I said, well, I, I guess. Uh, and we bounced it around a bit and we said, well, it needs to be personal. It needs to be about learning. It needs to be about sharing. And, it, and you know, that, that's kind of it, really. So he said, okay, it's good enough. We sat down on the Monday morning in the management meeting. And Nicola, the MD, pointed at Meredith, the head of legal, and said, right, next Monday, you're going to have the safety conversation to start with. Um, she came to me as the head of legal saying, you know, how, how do I do this? I know nothing about safety. I, what, why even me? I said, well, give it a go, see what happens. So a very stressed out uh, head of legal spent a week looking around, trying to learn something, trying to, trying to see what she could change, trying to have a personal story. 
And on the Sunday before she came to work, she was going to the shops. She put her, she put her seatbelt on. And as she did, she looked at her two children sitting in the back of the car and realized they didn't have a seatbelt on because the law doesn't require you to be in Morocco. So she asked her children to put the seatbelts on and they both kicked off and said, why, mom? And said, no, no, no. And she explained and, you know, that it's safer to do it. And mommy's got hers on and they kind of complied and said, okay. So on Monday morning, you understand what the story is, but actually what happened on Monday morning was Meredith showed vulnerability. She showed as a parent that her children were at risk and she was willing to bring that story to the table. And that's courageous. That is very, very courageous. And what she did is give everybody else permission to have a look and say, wow, maybe there's something that I can change. Um, and the story started getting better from that point. Now, Nicola, the ND, whose idea it was, went around all the meetings he could possibly go to and shared Meredith's story with a big smile on his face and encouraged people to, to do something similar. So, it, you know, one by one by one by one, the stories just started getting better and more engaged and things like that. And the strap line along the bottom there is, do organizations learn or do individuals? And I believe that it's every single little individual's contribution that makes a difference to an organization. And it's people that grow and learn and then organizations that follow that. And Meredith, I thought, was a great head of legal, nailed it. And it was, it's one of my favorite stories. So, you know, the interesting thing was a lot of times when, I'm, when I hear people using stories, um, some people have some, some positive views to, to say about it and other people come at it very negatively, thinking that it's not really a, a management technique. And so I started to do some research on this. And what I found really interesting is that storytelling is actually seen as one of our oldest leadership skills. In fact, it started way back in uh, 30,000 years ago during cave people time. And we're still using it in our modern society in order to uh, share our knowledge and our wisdom. And now when we, we're looking at how different generations use storytelling, it's very interesting. And I'm just gonna quickly skip ahead to the millenniums that are coming into the workforce and are currently in the workforce in that it's very interesting that for them, the most important thing to get them connected and engaged and to build that relationship and trust that Rosa, you often talk about is through helping them understand and know the why of what we are doing, the purpose. And it's been shown, in fact, that storytelling really helps facilitate this because it can bring a real sense of power and passion when you're delivering the knowledge in order to get those, um, those emotional connections going between people that is so critical for building trust and rapport. So I just wanted to add that in because I thought it was really important in our work. I, I think it is. And I think... One, one of the things that I've learned as well is that um, if you look at the brain patterns of somebody telling a story and you look at the brain patterns of somebody listening, you sync up, people sync up, you can anticipate where it's going and you can visualize things. And I think we're all very, very, very visual in how we think. And I'm quite sure when I told that story, people were visualizing Meredith sitting in her, uh, sitting in her car, putting her seatbelt on and so on and so forth. And that's what makes stories memorable because you can, you can visualize it for yourself. 
much better than sitting through a PowerPoint slide, says he going on to the next slide. Yeah. So um, I think when you, I think that's brilliant, Tamara. And when you understand that, you can actually use stories to change the narrative. Yeah. And if you think about purpose, then you can really, really drive change through, uh, through stories because what you can do is use them to inform people of the kind of behavior that, that you want in an organization. Um, and that's what this, this slide is here. Um, so we, we launched an initiative uh, a year ago that was uh, about asking people, do you have what you need at work? And then listening to what people wanted and then um, making sure that we got them that. Um, and we took all of the negativity out of it. We just encouraged people to speak up and solve and support each other and solve problems. Um, and this, this is a story of Mr. Salim here, who walked past the hole and found out that there's a three meter drop there that somebody could fall into and got some help to cover it up. And the story that we told was about how much we trust this guy to look after himself and others and how he was very professional to get the help and you get the expertise to cover up this hole. We never talked about a near miss. There's no negative at all in this word at all because near miss reporting doesn't work. Many people have tried, but saying thank you for somebody for fixing a problem does work. Yeah. And we laced our, our values as a company are trust, professionalism and expertise and loyalty. And we asked people, do you see your job description in that? Because what we just did is link what Mr. Salim did with the values of the company that were decided by the owner of the organization. And these are the stories that I send around the board members and all of the general managers of a company every single month. So I've now got a proud general manager because he's got great stories coming out of his organization and he goes out and asks for more. And it starts to become self-fulfilling. So what I'm doing is saying, it's okay to be not okay, as long as you get the help to fix the issue. And then we'll say thank you very much and link that to the to the values of the company. And that's about inclusion and belonging as far as I'm concerned, because he's been his best self when he's helping this. And we're saying thank you for doing what you actually want to do, which is help look after people's safety, right? Tamara, shall I carry on? Um, yeah, I did have a bit to add there, you know, about why values are important. Um, in, in, my, in my work, I have really found that um, when, when we have the team sharing common values, it's really easier for, for decision making and, and the work um, going on around them because they, they kind of pull together in yeah. order to support one another. And I think we also have to be very mindful that if, if done incorrectly, it can actually break down a team and create um, people to be ostracized. And part of our role in creating a healthy work environment, mental health is very important. So again, watching to see, you know, how, how is stories being used in the workplace? Is it bringing people together or is it creating division? Because it's really meant as a tool to build commonality. 
Bobby, because I really want to say, and I posted this, by the way, on the message board, and it's cool if everyone uses that so we capture thought. But I said you guys made me realize how important it is um, that there's coherence between organizational and individual purpose as a common story. And then I heard you also say that those common values actually set kind of a common theme in the story plot, mm-hmm. is the way I put it, which I really... I, I like where you're going. Yeah. And did anybody else um, here, did you have something to add about what we've spoken about so far that maybe resonates with you or doesn't? Well, I'm, I'm kind of uh, writing, writing notes right now uh, as you guys are speaking. Anytime I use a, a safety tool, whatever it might be, I'm always thinking about validation and verification. Uh, How true or how appropriate is the tool and whether or not the tool is uh, appropriately used and applied. Uh, In my experience, uh, when I've I've used uh, examples uh, in in teaching and and communication, I always try to double source my information, especially when one talks about uh, accident reconstruction, forensics, and things like that. Because most of the information in the public domain is skewed, even coming from official authorities like the NTSB in the United States. Uh, As a quick example, I reviewed maybe five years of NTSB data, and I found it to be very skewed, biased, and biased towards pilot error rather than redesign. So if you're telling a story, you have to be careful. And you might convey the wrong information. That's all I want to say. I was kind of writing it up, but that's it. And I think you bring up a, a good point Michael, it's not just sharing stories to make yourself look good. It's, it's mind, you know, mindfully being strategic about how you're transferring your wisdom and knowledge using a different tool that has shown that millenniums in particular, reson, it really resonates with them. Yeah. Right. And so what you're saying is very important. You still have to make sure that you've got your facts and your information correct in what you're sharing. Gary yeah, wanted to make Exactly, and, and uh, we have I Gary, you with an example. Uh, Mike, ex- excuse me, Gary had his hand up and then you can go next. Yeah. Go ahead, uh, Gary. Thanks, Rosa. I just wanted to make the comment. Um, I see coherence a little bit differently. Coherence to me doesn't always mean alignment and common values because we're dealing with complexity here and that's what stories are, this mismatch here. So diversity is really important, and that's part of coherence here. So you can have a common direction where you're going to go here, but there's different ways that you can get there. And I'd want to see a sharing of different stories about how different paths are to kind of get to that common purpose here. So I just want to leave that thought for everybody. And Gary, I'm glad you said that because I want to be very clear. I use the term coherence really thoughtfully, thanks to what I've learned from Sinefin. 
and really meant that in coherence, it doesn't mean necessarily there is the same perspective, only that they re there's resonation in moving yeah. towards something completely. And if, and if, and if I may, um, on that, well, I, I guess this slide or the, or the previous one uh, doesn't, doesn't really matter. Um, I'm, I'm, this, I'm gonna say something that I'm sure is controversial. I'm not a safety first person. I'm not a safety first person. Um, because that for me is a, is a red flag to the finance department or the HR department or the construction department or whatever. And it, and it potentially creates conflict and potentially it's, it, you can undermine your credibility a little bit as well. But if I use the company values and I can interpret them the way that um, I believe they're in this department or that department or the other department, it's trust means something very different in a financial point of view than it does in HR, than it does in safety and so on and so forth with, with the broadest possible definition of that but you can apply it in your job the way that it should be. And when you have a conversation with people, you can actually talk about principles. And it means all sorts of different directions all at the same time, but it's principles that I think behind decisions that, that we can use. And when we start using examples of how we use those, you start layering up how it is that you, are, you, you work as an organization really. And I, and I think that's why you know, I don't like you safety first. I use the company's values because that's what, what we're designed to do here in this organization. But um, yeah, um, I guess on, the, on this slide, um, I'm gonna step all over uh, Rose's toes on this one and I'm looking for, for guidance as I'm speaking here. But really when you listen to the water cooler conversations, I guess, that's where you hear the gossip about how things really get on. It doesn't really matter what you've written down or what you, what you try. It's how people talk about it that, that really uh, that really uh, that really helps you gain an understanding of what people think. And we've all had the you know I know they talk about safety all the time, but they don't really mean it. And when you get those stories in a group, then people will tend to shy away from you know doing what it is that you want them to do, if you like, because the commonly held belief is you're not really serious about it. So the kind of things that I had to cope with in Saudi, in Saudi Arabia, and I'm sure many of you have, are, you know, people have accidents because they don't follow the rules, which leads people to say, well, therefore we need better rules or we need to enforce the rules or so on and so forth. But who's actually saying that story? Is, it, is that a leadership belief or is that in the supervisor world or is it the employees? The employees saying, yeah, we have accidents because we don't follow the rules. So you've got to work out who's telling what story and then try and work out how it is that you can you can understand and peel back the layers of the onion to, to do that. But, you know, this is something, Rosa, that I, I saw you comment on LinkedIn about TQM and it, and it hit home with me because I'm an ex-quality professional. And as I look around the world, I say, what happened to the quality profession? They showed up and said, you need a TQM and you need a procedure and you need a black belt and you need uh, Deming's quality circles or whatever it was and business didn't know any better, but they kind of went along with it. And then they realized that it wasn't working out and the quality profession didn't evolve and change. And what I see in the world just now is, is potentially uh, some of what we're saying, you know, you need an ISO, you need a human and organization performance, you need a this, you need a that. We're being very divisive. So what story is it that we're telling business right now? And are they convinced? And actually, if you stop talking a little bit and say to leaders, 
Do you, do you believe in this idea? Do you believe in this story? Are we going the right way? Listen to what it is that they say, because it's an opportunity to change direction. If you hear them say, well, you know what? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. So listen, really, really, really listen loudly to what people are actually saying. And sometimes we can get so caught up in our own ideas that, you know, we've set the course, we've set the path, and it's my idea, and you protect it, and you protect it. So step outside and listen to the stories that people are saying. Well, one of the questions I, I have is that we talk about values, which is a really uh, uh, ephemeral word. You know, it, it doesn't, it's not very concrete. Uh, and I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, all those value statements don't make much impact in, in most organizations because there's no under, common understanding of them. So what I'm wondering, what you said that stories, and I, and I agree that stories are a way to convey very complex information in a way that bypasses a lot of the logical barriers that people have set up. Because if you can go, go through straight to a memory maybe they had in childhood or whatever, suddenly they go, oh, okay, well, that's what you mean. So I want to know, Tamara, you made that comment that you've used stories for values, or, or Andy, I don't want to put you on the spot, but uh, what's a specific story and experience you had where uh, the stories helped to um, solidify an underst common understanding of a value? You know, well, what I, that first slide was the beginning of initiative. Um, and what happened is that somebody, we, we went with, you know, if you haven't got what you need, speak up and we'll get it for you. Trust us. And people, somebody said, well, you know, I need a new hammer. And I need a new pair of shoes. And they got that. And then we shared the story to, to everybody else to say, look, we said, trust us. And look, here's, here's two people that act, spoke up and they got what they needed. And then we got 10 people speaking up. And then we got 50 people speaking up. And each time we spoke up, we, we shared the story again and said, look, trust us. Thank you for, thank you for being professional about this and engaging with us. Um, that's exactly the kind of culture we want. And we keep using the same words over and over again. My, my job description that I agreed with the CEO was culture, engagement, performance. And we said that that means culture is creating the environment where it's okay to speak up. Engagement isn't about the employees, it's about the leadership engaging with people when they do to get them what it is that they need. And performance will just come because actually what we're going to focus on is trust. So if somebody speaks up, trust us to respond accordingly. And it's those central themes that we keep, we keep our credibility because we keep up doing what it is that we said that we were going to do. And speaking just goes on and on and on and on. And the Rosa, I sent Rosa an email just before this session, because this is based on all this storytelling is based out of an initiative that we put in our civils company a year ago. And I just got a, a, an email today from the general manager of that company to say that that whole year we, we haven't had a first aid, we haven't had a lost time, we haven't had anything. And, it, and the language that project managers and supervisors and engineers are using are completely different from, from what it was before. And it's repeat words, trust, professionalism, expertise, culture, engagement, performance, uh, just using those words over and over again because people now understand we meant it and they believe in the words. 
and they're speaking up every day and fixing the issues and solving each other's problems. Did that answer your question or did I answer the one that I thought I hoped you asked? <laughs> Tomorrow, I'm wondering what you would add to that. Well, I see a lot of people um, also in the chat room talking about principles. Mm -hmm. And so I'm wondering if there's a different um, thought that people might want to share, if some of those people want to come on mic. Yeah, I, I don't want to take up too much time, but I try to draw a distinction between principles and values. Principles are what we call these timeless natural laws. They happen whether we know it or not. Um, physical principles, for example, is like the law of gravity. Um, values are things that we put a worth on as people. And because of that, we can actually change those values. We can have a leadership team come along and decide next week, ah, we're going to change the list of common values here. Let's add, let's add profit, for example. Let's add, dismiss this one here. And you can do that with values here. It does cause a lot of confusion for the employees though down below here. So I've always kind of said, let's focus on principle because those are the things that don't change. Like, um, this is interesting. Mike uh, Alico had just written that, um, you know, one of the examples he gave that it really came down to, um, and now it moved, uh, integrity. And integrity, I think, is a very good example of something that's an immutable, uh, close to a principle. It's, it's kind of a, would you call it a human expectation or a, 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 an expectation or um, a way we behave that, that goes through time? It's not linked to any current, you know, story that we're telling or, or generation we're living through. It's something that is just always true. Integrity is necessary. Would we call that a principle? Yeah, I, as, well, as well as engineering integrity. And, yeah. and I, I was just trying to convey an example of we are telling a story for maybe, what, 130 years? And the story is wrong. You know, considering what Gary's saying, we, we didn't understand the, the common problem, as you could read. It was more of a systemic risk, and, and we really didn't understand the, the ramifications of the story. But yet, um, you know, safety presenters have been using the example, and the captain was wrong, and the captain was wrong, and the captain was wrong. Well, no. Based on the information he had, he was not wrong. So, so we tell stories, especially when they're related to high-tech accidents, you know, the old rings and, and, and this and that, and we make assumptions about it. And we safety people use these examples based on inappropriate understanding of what actually happened. That's all I want to say. Yeah. Can, I, can, I, can I comment? I, th I think that's spot on. Um, and, you know, I, I've heard Rosa say this, I've heard many people say it, and I, you know, I've I've been involved in, you know, looking at tragedies and what is it that we can learn from this. And what, what comes out a lot of the time is, um, well, I wouldn't have done it like that, but nobody asked me. Or um, everybody knows what's wrong, but we weren't given the opportunity to speak up. 
Um, and what I saw when I was walking around the, the many construction sites that, that I see is a lot of things that are wrong all the time, but nobody's in power to fix them. So, you know, the stories that I shared earlier on are empowering employees to look around and say, we could fix this, we could fix this. And what, what I was actually stimulating was if somebody speaks up, then it's somebody's responsibility to work with you to get that fixed. And then somebody speaks up, we fix it. What we're doing is learning how to fix problems, learning that it's okay to talk about problems. And the kind of problems that we ended up fixing ended up right the way back in design because somebody talked to somebody and we ended up way back in design. And then we're talking to the client because actually what the issue was was the way you put your contract together and the way that you're incentivizing things and so on and so forth. So you have to start somewhere and you can't, you know, you can't see everything uh, that's going on all the time. But what you can do is create an environment where it's okay to be not okay, as long as you get somebody to help you fix your problem. And, you know, I get the principles and, and values thing. Values, are, values were defined for the company before I showed up. I just tried to use them in a way that people could understand how to apply them. For now. But the, 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 the language that I'm now using in the business, I couldn't use three years ago in Saudi Arabia but I can now talk about dignity and respect because giving somebody what they need to do their job is just, is just respectful. And as a leader, as a leader, we need to make it okay to tell somebody it's my job to give you what you need, not to tell you what to do. And, Andy, and I, wanna, I just want to say one thing about the empowerment piece of it. Yeah. yeah, they may not say, or they may say, I didn't do it because I, I didn't, no, I couldn't speak up. I wasn't empowered. There's also the reality that people are fearful of um, being held accountable and, and being accountable not for learning, but accountable for error. So I'm curious about your perception there. Well, I, I, think, it's, I think it's, you know, back, back in the human nature, I think that you've got trust or you've got fear. Um, and, I, and I think there's a correlation between the two. And actually, uh, fear um, is is manifold. It's just the fear of embarrassment. If so, I equated it in here to the top-down hierarchical kind of nature of the of the country. To be honest, where somebody up here tells you what to do, if somebody tells you what to do, then it's just assumed that you've got everything that you need, and you're not allowed to ask, and you're fearful of being embarrassed because actually. If this is what I've got to do, then clearly that person knows that this is this. I can do the job with what I've got. So, and the other thing is that if you're sitting with ten people and somebody says, "Right, we're going to build a wall today," on you go. Everybody's looking at everybody else because they're fearful that am I the only one that sees this? I don't want to be different from this group because different gets rejected from the group. Right, so you, have, you can have, the peer pressure is so 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 important. Um, um, can I can I share a little story? Seems there's, appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's a lovely little experiment uh, that I read about that I use a lot, and it and it helped me a lot to understand that behavior is situational. Um, there's eight people in a room standing around a desk. And on the desk are 10, piece, 10 strips of plastic. 
eight of them are of equal length, two are different lengths. And a ninth person is brought into the room. And when the ninth person is brought in, they just assume that everybody was brought in one at a time, the same as everybody else. And then a tenth person is brought into the room and they all stand around the table. The eight people are part of the experiment. The two people brought in are the experiment. And person number one is asked, what do you see? And that person says, I see 10 pieces of plastic of equal length. Person number two, what do you see? I see 10 pieces of plastic of equal length. Person three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Uh, sorry, six, seven, eight, what do you see? 10 pieces of plastic of equal length. In the experiment, when the ninth person is asked, who is the experiment, what do you see? Up to 90% of the time they said, I see 10 pieces of plastic of equal length because they didn't want to embarrass everybody else. The 10th person has got no choice. I am not gonna be the one that says, right? Because of that, it, it, it's not only fear for you, it's the fear of embarrassing everybody else and calling them out to be a liar. Right. right. So it's all about it's, relationships. It's a absolutely, and and relationships are the key to everything. You can achieve nothing by yourself. And I think somebody named Rose that says that a lot. I think she might. I think she might have mentioned it once or twice. <laughs> Actually, th those experiments were conducted decades ago. <laughs> yeah, and what did we learn? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um. I, I don't know for, uh, let me dig a little bit deeper because um, I think Mike's point and, and Gary also that, um, you know, we tell stories and then they become the reality. That's yeah. the reality. And so if you are, <clears throat> okay, human accidents are the 99% the result of human error. I myself was saying that to clients, you know, because that made sense. Yeah, people are always involved, right? So they make sense to us and therefore we adopt them as reality. So how do we, um, how do we account for that? But in our daily interactions, I think we're talking about something a little bit different, which is um, that, you know, when you're, when you're, asking people for stories. And then Andy, the part that you also told me is that you're asking them to share their stories with others. It's more of a uh, organic developing thing as opposed to this is the fact or this is the way we do things. Because let's say that I share a story with you about, hey, you know, I had a really difficult time facilitating this group and I did it. And this is what I did and you should try it too. You could, you could go out and try it and come back and tell me, boy, that bombed. <laughs> that didn't work at all, you know? And so it, it keeps developing. So I don't know what it, anybody else thinks about that, but it seems like we're talking about maybe two different phenomenons here. <laughs> you're, the, you're the storyteller, Gary. <laughs> um, you might have lost. No, I'm here. I'm oh, here. No, I'm no, just no. curious. I, I want to hear what other people think about stories. Um, okay. I'm at the point now, as you probably know, Rosa, Jamara, and Lisa, that I think everybody gets the power of storytelling. Mm -hmm. Question is, so what do we do with it? What can we do? And um, the concern I've got is that as listeners, we hear a story and the first thing we say is, oh, I know exactly what that person is thinking about. And how wrong can we be? because we've got our misinterpretations, we've got all of our biases going on here. 
So as you know, what we've been trying to do is how can we get the authentic voice and get the interpretation of the storyteller documented because these stories form patterns. And going back to um, Andy, your first slide, do organizations learn? My answer is they do, but what they need to see is the patterns that all these stories are kind of forming together. The individual stories are great, but I kind of look upon them as a little, very granular. We got to go a little higher because one reason why we want to go higher and look at the system is that we can get away from blame. And because you get away from blame, um, that creates psychological safety here. Let's look at the system and what the stories are telling us about the system here. And um, what we try to look at is, what are the constraints of the systems that are causing people to behave this way? And by, by constraints, I'm talking about safety policies, standards, rules. What are these things that are getting in the way to preventing people from doing what they think should be safe? So you're saying it's an aggregation of individual stories that unfold the story, mm -hmm. uh, an, uh, an uh, organizational story that we can then impact through policy, procedures, yeah. metrics. Yeah, so, and I'll, I'll go back to Andy's great example of his story. Yeah, so, so if I was the supervisor in Nadir, I'd go like, where else is this happening in the organization of 300,000 people or so here? Are there other stories that this is taking place? And if you find out like this is happening all over the organization, Andy, next question to me is what's causing this? Is there some standard that's causing all this stuff to happen here? Right, mm -hmm. so instead of kind of working on the squeaky wheel gets the grease, can we go a little bit higher here and kind of look at what are those constraints that are causing people to behave this way? See, I'm gonna terrify safety professionals now uh, because I, I came to Saudi Arabia and I, and I wrote one procedure and the procedure was how to hire a safety guy because I write the procedures to run my own department and I make it the engineer's responsibility to run his department and so on and so forth. So I, I kind of, I watched the safety department become a part of the problem with writing a whole load of stuff that people don't frankly read. Um, but let, let me give, I, I give an example in this I, I, I truly, truly, truly believe that you can change the world through words. Um, I sat with my, the owner of the company and the CEO, and he said to me, how can I help you? This is a person that likes giving you solutions to problems, right? When you go to him and you start talking about something, he wants to give you the solution. I said, um, please, please don't try and give people the solutions, but instead ask people when they come to the boardroom and we do the, you know, the, all of the reviews that, that go on in the company, ask the leader of the business, tell me about a problem that you help somebody fix um, and listen to the story. And if it's a good story, say, thank you very much. And if it's not a good story, say, oh, nice try. Maybe you can come up with something better next time. So what happened is the, the leaders in the business were going out to their business and say, tell me about a problem that we can, do, we can find to help somebody with. And, and it started creating downward pressure in the organization. So people were going out saying, right, what can we fix? Yeah. And then the stories were coming back up and we were sharing them with the, yeah. the organization. And slowly, slowly, we started to change things. Um, Gustavo, are you trying to say something? No, he probably un uh, unmuted accidentally. Um, but um, I think 
You know, Gary's points were really at a, a level of organizational assessment. And I'm, I'm talking more about how conversations create organizations. I'm sure you've all been familiar with that concept that we, we um, what we talk about and how we talk about it and how we talk about it with each other creates the experience. So I've been in facilities where people are very antagonistic and angry and they, they create an atmosphere where people are really afraid and ready to break windshields and all of that. And I've been in other organizations completely the opposite, completely different. And those organizations talk to each other differently and tell different stories. So what I was wondering, and I'd like to ask somebody in the group, you know, ha, um, do you have um, uh, an example of how a story began to change the, um, your, your, your safety uh, organization, not your safety organization, but people's concept of safety? Andy, Andy, you started with one today. Well, I was him. actually going to chime in because um, I know Rosa knows that I have a story. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I do because I, I, and I shared this one with Andy too, is that I, I had a real struggle with people using proper ladders for when they were doing work. They, they had found for years that if they were getting a box with light stuff in it, they could take a broom handle to knock it down. And even though I put the correct ladder right there beside the benzel, so all they literally had to do was move it just the two feet over to where they wanted it, for some reason they would continue to use the broom handle method until one day an individual did have an accident where she, the box fell and tore her ligaments in her back. And it was very interesting because when she first came back to work, um, because it's, it's an injury that you can't see with the naked eye, even the, her coworkers were ostracizing her and treating as if she didn't really have an accident, um, that it was all made up, that she's okay now. And I found out that they were starting to bully her in different little ways. And so one day I went up to the lunchroom and I started having a conversation with these other individuals of her department, just talking about my own life with my own son and how much I enjoyed playing with my son, picking him up, and they were all parents as well. And so they also shared about how much they enjoyed doing that with her, their own. And, I, and in, in the stories that we're sharing, I only had one line that I shared about this particular worker. And it was like, how unfortunate is that this person name will never be able to do this with her own son anymore because of her injury. And, and they stopped and they thought about that because it really hit home um, about how it changed the person's life outside of work. And so then what I saw was afterwards, they, they started to treat that person differently, trying to help her with the return to work practices that we had put to put in place for her to do, as well as starting to use the appropriate equipment to do the certain job that they were doing. And it wasn't a big story. It wasn't a story to the whole organization. It was just to a few people in that department. 
but it was really interesting how it spread right through the whole bakery department after just three of us had that story, uh, storytelling session upstairs in the lunchroom. Rosa? Well, well that's, a, that's a great example of, you know, in real time, people interacting and having the conversation and the power of story that people can identify with. Yeah. And break down that barrier of um, of you. There's th them, and then there's us, right? The them us barrier. Yeah. I, I, funnily enough, got a story. Um, I I joined uh, a, a new business for me. It was an infrastructure business. Bunch of engineering consultants working in road, rail, highways, environment, and, and so on. Uh, about three and a half thousand people. And we had a brand new group vice president, and I was a brand new head of safety. We didn't know each other, um, and there was there was bad bad feeling in the organisation towards the safety organisation because we showed up, did audits, told people what they got wrong, and when there was an accident, there was there was blame. And the the safety department was very 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 powerful in this company, um, but. But it wasn't nice. So, so I joined, and I, I'm not that kind of person. I, I believe in relationships and working together and teamwork. So I wrote a plan that was entitled changing the relationship of safety to the business and the business to safety, because we all had to do a little bit of change. And I think people could understand what that strap line meant. And there was lots of things underneath it. But I sat with the, I sat with the group vice president. He said, Andy, there's a trend. He said, four years ago, we had five accidents. Um, three years ago, we had six. Two years ago, we had seven. This year, we had eight. That's a trend. What are we going to do about it? So there's three and a half thousand people. I'm a you know, safety guy, trend guy. And I'm like, well, John, John pulled his muscle gun. He got stuck in the mud in highways. And Brenda fell over in the office and cut her hand in a cup. And a, a wall panel fell off and hit somebody in the back of the head. Mike put a sample bottle in his pocket and he got an acid burn. I can remember all the accidents very, very well. But they're all different departments and all different geographies. There's no pattern. He said, no, 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 no. Each year there's more than the last. That by definition is a trend. I said, well, you need to come all the way up to the, you've got to look where the pattern is to come to the commonality. He said, the only place it comes to the top is, is in this office, Bob, with you and me. And he said, all right, so it's my fault. No, that isn't kind of what I meant. He said, okay, go away. You're no use to me. Go away and have another think. So... And there was lots of things going on in the business to change things. But when we came back, the idea of this leader in the business was to stand the whole company down and have a safety conversation with them. So the head of communications and I sat down and worked out how it was going to work. Um, and I have to say, Louise did all of the work predominantly. But on the Monday morning at nine o'clock, three and a half thousand people stopped and they watched a video of the group vice president saying, guys, we had four accidents, we had five, then we had six, then we had seven, then this year we had eight. That's a trend and I don't know how to fix it, but I'm very, very worried that somebody's gonna get hurt and I need your help. There was more words, but what actually it did was come across as being vulnerable and not having the answer. And he's the most powerful person in the company, right? And people thought, you know what? I believe you and I think you're credible and I know what I can do in my own job to fulfill what it is that you're asking me to do. 
because everybody had heard drive less because we're having road accidents, do a better risk assessment because we're not very good at that, do a safe plan of action before you do this. And they'd heard all of the stuff we were trying to achieve, but they were kind of a bit cheesed off that nobody really, you know, it wasn't a good relationship to safety. But when that leader spoke and said those words, everybody chose to make better decisions. And we didn't, I was there for another two years before I left. I left that organization 2011 to go to North Africa. We didn't have another accident. So the power of those words and the power of being a credible leader, not asking you to do something in particular, but just asking for your help and coming across very credibly, I believe changed the course of that company. And it changed the course of that leader as well in terms of his engagement and thoughts about what safety leadership was actually about. Andy, you know, it's really interesting to juxtapose what I hear from Rosa asking and, and what I read into your story. And maybe it's just the lens I'm coming through. On one hand, I hear Rosa saying, look at the individual employee and how they can drive the change yep. in the story. And then yep. I hear you saying that it's the answer from the top that matters. Um, I'm being, I'm exaggerating for effect yeah. here. It has to be both, right? Because, because you know, we know that these things are circular. And if anyone is doubting that, that the, the leaders in organizations aren't the only ones setting the story, look at the millennials who are coming in and saying, and no, I don't play by those rules and I won't work for you if the story doesn't change. So I, I just, am I hearing correctly that you're kind of representing two sides of, of the house here? No, I, I, I you know, I, I, what I heard from Rosa and I believe the question was, is what story changed the course of, of a whole company? And that was for sure that leadership conversation in that example. What, and I, and I, I can share lots of examples of yeah. bottom up um, and really what, what I said my job is, is, you know, I've been given a responsible and powerful position in the company, but it's my responsibility to use that power to listen to the people with no voice, because those are the individuals that aren't given the opportunity to speak up. So the majority of stories that I've shared in Saudi Arabia are, I just need a hammer. I just need better ventilation. I just need uh, this gap in the scaffold being, being closed. And when I've shared those stories, what, what happens is that supervisors and engineers understand what the responsibilities are a little bit more. And to be honest, all of those small changes move the whole company a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time. Leaders gave you permission because you want to please the boss and we can't ever avoid that. But it's the hundreds and hundreds of little stories every day when people uh, have, have, have said, no, no, really speak up, you'll get it fixed. Those are the things that have, that have really changed the organization. And as I say today, I got the, we've worked a full year and 2 million hours without even a, without even a first aid. And that's because of those, those stories. Thanks for clarifying. Yeah. 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 Um, I see that we're at 9.01 for mm -hmm. those of you. Oh <laughs> you, you want to make any closing statements? Um, well, I, I saw that Gary had brought something in. If people just have a few more minutes, he was talking about uh, signature stories. And I, I was wanting to, for the organization, I wanted to know if you could kind of explain that a bit, because that was interesting. 
Now, one of the things we do when we go and start listening and collecting stories is what are the stories that get passed on from generation to generation or in some organizations from master to apprentice? Because those are the ones that seem to resonate. Those are the ones that seem to go viral. And quite often we hear more negative. It's kind of like, you know, 10 years ago, Bill did this. Don't do what Bill did. And that's all you have to say. It's a trigger and everybody goes, oh yeah, I get it. Don't do what Bill, Bill did, right? Those ones are, are signature stories that get passed down. But signature stories can also be kind of like very earth shattering as well. Um, one I was gonna share is a simple one about Steve Jobs story how he changed design thinking in Apple. When he took the first iPhone that was created and it wasn't small enough for him, and he threw it into the, um, into the uh, fish tank and a bubble appeared. And he says, you see, there's still error in this iPhone. It's not small enough. And that got back to all the engineers in Apple here and they realized that we gotta make this thing a lot smaller here. So signature stories are just cool things that just get passed on. I like that. That's a good ending point. Yeah. Great anybody, anybody wanna say uh, any last word or comment, insight? Was I just love this talk today. It was so, conversation. It was such a nice conversation today. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Paul or Orhan? Orhan unmuted. Are you going to say something? <laughs> Come on, Orhan. Uh, I'm sneaking in uh, for uh, the last three webinars, I think, uh, and uh, I'd like to introduce myself uh, shortly. Uh, I'm coming from Istanbul, Turkey, so close to Saudi Arabia. <laughs> so, uh, and um, I'm an occupational safety and health professional engineer mechanical engineer. I am Turkish and Swiss citizen, so uh, I am also registered in Switzerland. Um, and um, when I was uh, coming into this uh, um, uh, talking today, um, I just um, wanted um, uh, uh, to hear actually more from the stories which we use for uh, psychological risks uh, like metaphors, uh, uh, we use in ACT and uh, other uh, things. Uh, but uh, the whole conversation was also very, very uh, nice for me. And uh, thank you very much for, for uh, letting me join in. <laughs> thank you. Can I, can I just, um, just one thought? And I, I, I was sharing this earlier on. I hear a lot of comments that um, uh, safety professionals shouldn't be involved with mental health and it's an HR thing and, and so on and so forth. Um, I believe everybody wants their story to be told and I believe everybody wants their ideas to be valued and if we as safety professionals can help people have their ideas listened to and valued then that is a route to good strong mental health. Here, here Andy. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> so there you go. Brilliant, brilliant. So thank you all for joining. We appreciate your time and your insight as we gather together to understand these things uh, better and, you know, and how to apply them. So I hope the conversation today gave uh, you some new aspect of storytelling to think about. And we look forward to our next conversation. Thanks all. Great pleasure. Andy, great to meet you. From Gary. No, I, I really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you for inviting me. I appreciate that.
Hope I'm Thank you, Andy. You did great. You did. You did. Okay, then. We'll see you yeah, next bye time. Bye. Bye. Thank, Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Andy, very much. Bye. 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 B